screen. All right, so what did we all learn this week? This was an intense uh, study. <laughs> um, so we start off the first couple of weeks with ruin and rebirth. We, we move on to rebellion and compliance. And now we're on the next level of the ladder here uh, with punishment and deliverance, uh, talking about those the seraphim um, that uh, is the end time servant that will come and deliver us all from the, the, the havoc that the Antichrist brings. Um, so um, we, that, that ruin and rebirth, et cetera, is very much foundational to this. We'd never be able to just jump right into punishment and deliverance and, and really understand what all's at stake and, and, and at play here without that, those foundational weeks there. Um, but anyway, uh, what kind of experiences did you have while reading chapters uh, 9 through 12 that uh, anybody want to want to share anything, any uh, insights, or if you listen to like Avraham's commentary on these chapters, uh, any new things that, that really stood out to you? And if not, we'll, we'll just dive right in. <laughs> Um, okay, I always can comment. So just so everyone else knows, if someone else speaks up, chances are I won't. But if nobody else does, I will almost always jump in. So <laughs> please know, yes. take a turn if you want to turn. <laughs> um, I love in chapter 12 how, um, I don't know, it talks about, well, it talks about so much of the negative stuff that happens through the rest of it. But in chapter 12, he's like, look, not everybody has to go through this I think it was 12 or maybe at the end of 11 when um when it was like as soon as as soon as he turns against Nob or whatever and starts to head towards Mount Zion then all of a sudden like oh my gosh then they're in trouble and then that's when they come down so it's almost like he waits to the last minute the Lord waits until literally everybody else is destroyed or punished or is being gathered together um and then he jumps in and, and is like, just kidding. You thought you had it the whole time. Ha ha ha, king of Assyria. But you don't. You thought that, you know, I was your tool, but really you're my tool. So there. <laughs> and I don't know. That's just my, I, I like to look at it like it's a story or a fairy tale or whatever. Yeah. But I think it makes, it helps me at least relate to the Lord a lot better and to see, um, how even the negative stuff, all the bad stuff that happens still is for the best, still is for the good. Even if it doesn't feel that way, it's still his plan. So that's mm -hmm. super cool for me. Even if it's the last second, he's still going to jump in and save anyway. Yeah. So why does everyone think that he does wait until the last minute to either save and redeem or or sometimes even to bless? Sometimes it, it comes after much tribulation, etc. But But why is it kind of the 11th hour or the um uh, the very last minute to, to redeem his people i think, I think it all has to do with faith <laughs> mm -hmm. faith and you know making sure that we are going to come through for him and do what we're supposed to do so faith pretty much <laughs> yeah. yeah i sure. thought that it was kind of like the wheat and the tares you know um both good and bad uh will continue until the second coming and then at that point the tears will be you know will be sifted out and uh satan thinks that he's winning but 
all along Christ has always been in charge. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of go along with you too, because I think that, um, I think it, like in one word, agency. I just think how the Lord lets everybody continue to do their agents, use their agency. Will the Assyrians change their minds or will they dig their own pits? You know, and then it goes along with like what Cindy said too that faith. So on the one side, it, I mean, it's agency for both. Are you going to continue to be faithful? Are you going to continue to fight against the Lord? Um, and so I think in that way, you know, it's kind of both and some cross over, some go to Assyrians, become Assyrians and some become faithful. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the descension ascension process. I agree in the faith building. That's been huge for me. I have felt like the Lord's been against me for all 40 of my years until now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I finally get it. Thank you. Thank you for explaining this. All of this punishment has been for good stuff. And now, mm -hmm. yeah, punishment still makes me smile. I, maybe that makes me a masochist. Sorry, we don't need to go there. But, um, but we literally have to descend. It is the plan to descend. And we agreed to it. Um, I remember, I think the first week or two, Alethea asked that question. Did, was Christ the only one that descended? And this just kind of answers it, right? Mm -hmm. um, at least for me, the descension is a must. It is necessary. And it was agreed to for more than just Christ so that we could ascend and jump to higher levels, which is so cool mm -hmm. and help each other yeah. out. Because if none of us ever made it to that, like, I don't know, Babylonian level, we wouldn't know how to lift people out of that Babylonian level. Just yeah, like Christ, his whole atonement, he, he dealt with it. He, gosh, sorry, I get so excited. Um, he dealt with all of our pain so that he would know how to deal with all of our pain and how we could deal with all of our pain and to, to feel all of that. And so there's a scripture somewhere, I don't remember where exactly right now, but it, it talks about those who are partakers of Christ's suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think it not strange when you're faced with fiery trials and things like that. Maybe I'm combining two different scriptures, but, but I encourage anybody who is curious about that and wondering why they feel hated by God, if you ever do, because I've been there, um, to, to read into that scripture, being a partaker of Christ's suffering and what that means. Totally ties in here with Isaiah. Yeah, I was. Yeah, oh, go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. I was just going to say I was remembering something I read and learned this morning, and I just finally found it. It's it was in my "Come Follow Me," right? Um. So in um, what is that? DNC seventy seven. Yeah, where they're going through Revelation, and um, I was listening to talking scripture, and in verse six where it says, what are we supposed to understand by the book, which John saw, which was the sealed book on, um, on the back with seven seals answer. We're to understand that it contains the revealed will mysteries and the works of God, the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence. So what I wrote in my notes that I learned from them was that this book has a page about each person who's ever lived has the answers to all of our questions about what happened to us on earth, including all the heartache, suffering, illnesses. And the mysteries are that it will reveal 
all those mysteries of our life to us and what God's will was for us. And then they went on to tell the story about one of Joseph's biggest heartaches was when his brother Alvin died. And then he was pondering about that. He saw Alvin in the spirit world. He, like he saw his other family members and then he saw Alvin and it was the precipice or the catalyst, I guess is the word um, for the Lord. Alvin's death was the catalyst for Joseph to think about that. And then to be taught the principle about um, temple work and ordinances and all of that. So there was wisdom in Alvin's death. Right. And I made me think of, was it, it was Joseph F Smith that had so many family members die in his life. And that's where he also got that revelation. Right. And, and saw what it's like. And so that was what they were saying is that there's wisdom in everything, even when it's suffering, that the mysteries are that we will know and understand why did I have to deal with this? And I just thought that was a different thing because when I always think about the mysteries, I'm like, oh, what does the Lord have to teach me that, you know, kind of like what we're studying, but yeah. it wasn't, it was more a personal mist, like my personal mystery. What was my life all about? What, what gives my life meaning and what's the Lord's will in my life? I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I think that kind of goes along with that. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and then Stefan, did you have something there? Yeah, I was just going to say, I so agree with both uh, Alethea and, Sh and Shamala. Um, you know, up until I started reading Isaiah and then Abraham, I really, you know, we all have trials in our lives. But like you said, there's purpose in, in life. And as we go through these trials, you know, it's not just simply enduring them. It is understanding what is it that we're to be learning from this that will propel us uh, into ascension and make us better people. And I think that just opens up a world of, of excitement for me as I look at life now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I go back to, to like what Cindy says, you know, it all comes back down to faith and stuff. Like, sometimes in our 11th hour, it pushes us to our deepest yearnings. You know, sometimes we're, we're kind of in our, you know, like, okay, with, uh, I don't know, let's, let's put an example of drought, right? So we're, we're in this drought here in the Intermountain West and, you know, we're, we're praying for it here and there, kind of dabbling in it. And then it starts getting a little bit scarier and so we pray a little bit more earnestly. We might fast, et cetera. But when it's the 11th hour, when like you don't know, uh, like you've been days without water and you don't know when your next drink is going to be or, or where it's going to come from, that's where it can really work on the faith of like, okay, <laughs> like there's literally nowhere else to turn. And, and I know that God lives. He loves me. I'm faithful to covenants, etc. That's where like some of that 11th hour faith comes in kind of thing. I, uh, I, I love the examples here. Um, we'll, we'll talk about um, Midian and, and Gideon uh, here in chapter nine, but I think it's, that's uh, a very similar principle there with, with his band of 300. Uh, it's so that the Lord can, 
can prove that he's the one fighting our battles, not us, that we don't become prideful, whatever, but that that 11th hour faith is, is really manifest in, in some of it. Um, I also like that we realize that our life isn't haphazard. Yeah. Yeah. It's all planned out. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> all planned out. And, and even when things, I mean, you can look back and you can realize some of my decisions, my agency, I used it and that caused grief, but it's still not haphazard because the Lord still uses that our mistakes to become our strengths, right. And to teach or whatever, um, to draw mm -hmm. us closer to him. So I, I really like that, that we realize that nothing's haphazard. Mm -hmm. The Lord's in control. Yeah, Everything's I, haphazard or chaotic with Satan. Right. <laughs> but yeah, not, everything. but not with the Lord. <laughs> but yeah, that the God's so involved in our lives to, to be so merciful and everything. Um, I, you, many of you have probably seen my vin, uh, interview with Annette and Tracy, but like some people have asked me, I, I, I get so many emails every day. Sorry if I don't respond to all of them right away, but like, so would you have chosen some of that stuff again or whatever, if you had the choice or anything like that? I'm like, yeah, I would choose it hands down because now I see what it was for. Like God's trials are, are so custom tailored to us in such a loving way. And, and if we'll just have that, that faith, and sometimes it pushes us to our max so that we can start growing that, that type of faith. And anyway, it, it's so fun to like somewhat start explaining this to, to other people, you know, like Isaiah's ladder is really cool and people think you're weird and, and a geek about it, but then you're just like, okay, so where are you at on the ladder? I, I love having conversations with people, uh, briefly describing the ladder to heaven and then saying, so where do you think you fit on it? Because I'm having studied it, I, I have a pretty good idea of where I think you are and, and stuff and do to do to do. I, I know me and Leslie were, were having a, a, a side email conversation when she first joined and I was like, okay, where are you at? Where, what do we got here? And it's so fun to like start having a gospel framework to begin and have conversations with people like, oh, okay here's a starting point and here's what the next step is. Cause sometimes we, we don't have this manual or, or rule book for how to endure to the end. We do. I mean, it's in the scriptures. It's just, we have to have the keys that unlock it. And then once it's unlocked, then everything just opens up. That's like my great love of Isaiah. Like <laughs> I had never had it unlocked before. And now that it, it's starting to, it's just amazing, uh, all of the insights and, and things. Is it still challenging to understand Isaiah? Because there's so many more new messages and layers to it every single week that I'm studying. But um, yeah, it, anyway, sorry, I went on a long rant there. <laughs> um, so let's dive into to chapter nine. I think that uh, we can spend quite a bit of time here. Just in this chapter, it's pretty fun. Um, let me share the screen here. And actually, let me pull up the comparative translation. Okay, so um, I don't know. I'm just going to be kind of calling on the same people that I always call. If you really want to read tonight, like go ahead and uh, raise your hand with the little emoji thing there or whatever, and I can call on you. But um, 
you know, I, I get some people can't unmute with their microphones, etc. But um, let's tackle. Uh, sorry, this is formatted different than I had in my notes and it's looking different. Am I in chapter nine? Yeah, okay. Sorry, just ignore me. I'm being dumb today. <laughs> um, so let's start off with uh, verses one through five. Mother, would you like to read those for us? Okay. But it shall not be gloomy to those who have been in anguish for her. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. But at the last, he will exalt the sea route by the Jordan in the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a bright light on the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice at your presence as men rejoice at harvest time or as men are joyous when they divide spoil. For you have smashed the yoke and burdened them, the staff of submit, submission, the rod of those who subjected them, as in the day of Midian's defeat. And all boots used in battle and tunics rolled in blood have become fuel on bonfires. All right, so who could volunteer to give us kind of a rundown of Gideon and the, the army of Midian? Like what happened there? What are um, some of those key points that, that we can go through? Yeah, Shamala. Oh my heavens, sorry. <laughs> I, me and the scriptures, like whew. if I remember the story right, um, I don't remember how many, but like thousands of people were there in Gideon's army, right? And, and um. And they're going up against this other huge army. It's been a while since I've read it or studied it, but I love it so much. So um, the Lord was like, no, 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 you have too many people. And, and Gideon had gone and was like, God, will you help us? Because we don't have enough people and we're about to get smashed by this other army. And, and instead the Lord comes back and he's like, sorry, uh, you got too many. So you need to cut your, your army down. And he was like, what are you kidding me? And I don't remember the series of events that they had first, um, like what the first test was, but they have a test and X number of people, um, they had to leave. And he was like, seriously. And then there was like, what, 2,500 people left in the army against these like hundreds of thousands. And Gideon's like, you're leaving us with this tiny little portion and it's not good enough. And the Lord's like, no, actually what's happening is you're still too many. So if, you win the battle with even this many people, you're going to think you're pretty amazing. And it's not that you're amazing. It's that I'm amazing because I'm the Lord. Um, so go to this other test and um, have them drink out of the river and whoever like laps like a dog, they're out, like deleted, send them home. I, I think the first test was whoever's scared, whoever's scared or fearful, send them home. And so they did. And then whoever um, didn't drink, out of their hands, like dip the water out of their hands, got sent home. So these two super simple tests that just proved that people are being human. So basically anybody that was just human got sent home and it left Gideon's army with 300 men against this ginormous host, huge, fierce enemy 
And at that point, the Lord was like, okay, this is enough. You can do this. Not only can you do this, but you're going to win. And it was another huge faith building experience for him um, because he had to know that it wasn't of their own strength. It wasn't of their own coolness or their own amazingness that earned or deserved that. It was just because the Lord had commissioned it. So Gideon and his 300 men went and totally won that war. It was amazing. Because the Lord's amazing. (laughs) So uh, by race of hands, who wants to commission Shamala to record a new Living Scriptures (laughs) podcast for children relating these stories? (laughs) I love it. That was like the best summary of, of Gideon's army that I've ever heard. Awesome. <laughs> so um, with that story, just a couple of interesting like um, uh, symbolism things, how they won it. So he commands them to that 300 um, man army to go and get their shofars, their trumpets, and the lamps with them. They surround the army at night and then blow their horns and uh, uncover their, or smash their, their, their tor- things so that their torches can show. And so it looked like there was a lot more of them than there really were. And it spooked the army. The army started killing themselves and running away. And uh, anyway, another army headed them off, etc. And so, yeah, by, by small and simple, 300 men, uh, the Lord was able to accomplish much. And, um, and we see here in chapter 9 of Isaiah that this is pointing towards uh, a, an end time scenario as well. And so how do we see that maybe playing out in an end time scenario? What does that look like? Is the Lord going to raise up an army or have us raise up an army and then cut it down to 300 men so that he can prove that he's in charge? Or what, what are some thoughts on that? Like how, how might that play out? What are some of the takeaways that, that we can learn from what's being said or alluded to here in uh, Isaiah? Many are called, few are chosen. Yeah, right. And, and I like what you said of um, the, the tasks or the, the tests. It, it, they were just tests of being human, right? I mean, it wasn't like uh, scripture knowledge or exceeding brute force or anything. It was just, no, the ones that, that lap like dogs are out versus the ones that are alert, attentive as they're drinking with, with cupped hands. Um, kind of, I don't know, it, it, that's an interesting little tidbit there. But yeah, many are called, few are chosen. And who are, who are chosen uh, from Isaiah and from other uh, scriptures? Uh, we have this, this ladder to heaven, right? Anything above the Zion Jerusalem level is a uh, levels with missions. They, they have commissions on those levels to perform in the latter days. And um, at the last part of the latter days, uh, not just the latter days, but Anyway, you know, I think we can kind of uh, loosely equate 144,000 with the, the 300 that, that are in Gideon's army there. Does it make you wonder that maybe the ones that the Lord selected, like they drank the right way, that maybe they were inspired to drink that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, they didn't know like what, 
the test was going to be or anything or you know or else more people would have been like oh well if we're supposed to drink this way we'll drink that way kind of thing but ones that have been prompted or or led to to act certain ways to fulfill certain missions kind of thing did they even know that it was a test though or did he just take no. them and say, everybody that's what i thought nobody even knew so if we have the holy ghost perhaps the holy ghost whispered to them you know or if they weren't going to drink that way and the Lord won, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's, you know, the importance of hear him, you know, like uh, how do we even know when certain tests are going to be here kind of thing? We just got to always be in tune with the spirit there. There's no middle ground anymore kind of thing with that. Yeah. Mom, where are you raising your hand? Yeah. I it's along that same line. I think a lot of us are, are feeling, um, uh, if not our missions, but close to that. But I, I feel like for myself that I'm a big part of that, and I'm trying to prepare. And this Isaiah's ladder has helped me so much. But I've always had this gut feeling. Well, it's probably it's probably actually the spirit telling that you just know you have a part in that, a, a mission here in this last age. You got to get ready for it. But I want to be on the Lord's side, and uh, it's all a part of trust. And and I I truly trust that the Lord will be by our side if we're righteous and doing what we're supposed to be doing, mm. living up to our covenants. Yeah. Is there anything in life that isn't a test? Not to like put pressure on anybody in the world. Here. <laughs> But realistically, yeah. is there ever a moment that's not? And just as a side note here along those lines, like he didn't curse or like get mad at the people that didn't pass the test either. Mm -hmm. There was no shame. There was no, how could you? There was nothing like that. It was just like, okay, here you go. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Now we move on. And I think we all get those same opportunities. And especially thanks to Christ's atonement. We, you know, if we mess up today, we can say, I'm sorry, we can repent, we can go through that process and wake up again tomorrow with a better, brighter attitude. And even if we're doing just that one level better to give ourselves credit for that and to give Christ credit for making it possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's pop back to Isaiah nine and we're in verse six. So I'm just going to read these, these five verses here. It says, for to us, a child is born, a son appointed, who will shoulder the burden of government. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, one mighty in valor, a father forever, a prince of peace, that sovereignty may be extended and peace have no end, that on the throne of David and over his kingdom, his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish it. The message my Lord sent to Jacob, and it shall befall Israel, and the entire people, Ephraim and those who dwell in Samaria shall know of it, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have been filled, but we will replace them with cedars. So I, I, there's a lot to unpack just right there. Um, sorry for scrolling too far. Okay, so um, verse six and seven. I mean, what, what is that? If we're looking here at the, the King James, uh, we, we have that set to music, right? 
for unto us a child is born, his name shall be wonderful, a counselor. Um, but who is this referring to? I mean, yes, everything applies to Christ. That, that's good. You know, all prophets are, are types and shadows for Christ. But this is not referring to Christ. This is for unto us, meaning Israel, a child is born, a son appointed, a son servant type of individual who will start making Davidic covenants on our behalf. So after he, after the arch tyrant makes a mess of all of the gov governments and merges them all together, etc. This son servant, this Davidic servant, will shoulder the burden of government. He will be called wonderful counselor. It, those aren't separate terms. There's not supposed to be a comma in between like the King James has. It's a wonderful counselor, like Father Abraham was described in that same word. Wonderful counselor, one mighty in valor, father forever and a prince of peace. Um, this, this Davidic servant is, is going to be an amazing individual. I mean, these are four crazy titles that, that don't just get thrown out there willy-nilly. Um, I just have to say I'm really grateful that it was mistranslated because we would just be missing out on such beautiful music. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but you know, I mean, all of this does apply to Christ in, in the, the long run with, with things. Um, but it's interesting, in Avraham's commentary, he states that Christ or Jehovah is the only one that is um, allowed to prophesy or talk about the end time servant. None of the other prophets are, are allowed to do so. Anytime that they want to reference him, they have to defer to Christ and his descriptions found in the book of Isaiah. Um, so anytime that, that Nephi has seen the end time servant or, or John the Revelator, etc., they default to Isaiah to, to his, his quotation of Christ's prophecy of him kind of thing, which is, which is so interesting. I've never thought about that before because I honestly hadn't ever known or considered that there was this end time servant. That, that was a new one for me. And so for, for that to be explained in that way is very eye-opening. Going back through chapters 9 through 12 here with that in mind really opens up a, a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, Shamalo. Um, is this servant the same as the candlesticks or olive trees? One of those that's mentioned in Revelations 11. Very interesting, yeah. So uh, likewise in, is it Ezekiel? The, the candlestick, the menorah in between the two trees. Uh, very same imagery, yeah. Just um, if anybody figures out what that is, let me know. I'm trying to, yeah. to remember the reference. Yeah, I know that. Well, well the that. Joseph Smith Foundations talked about it. And hmm. um, actually, that was the first time I heard of them. Was it a preparedness fair I went to? in Ogden in 2015. And that's when I first heard Hannah Stoddard speak. And that was one of them is, you know where all the brides and grooms stand in the little cove by the front door of the Salt Lake Temple? Okay, that originally, that's not what it was made for. It was originally made for a statue of Joseph and Hiram. 
signaling that anyone that entered in had to get past Joseph and Hiram because they were co-presidents of the church, right? Um, and she did a whole long talk about that they're the candlesticks. Revelations 11 is the one that talks about the two prophets lying in the street. Yeah, well, she gave a talk about that too. Um, maybe I'm Okay. Yeah, she gave a talk you about can that find it. Too. I'd love to see it. Well, you can just go on and search for it on the Joseph Smith Foundation. I'm not going to go search for it, but because um, <laughs> I've, I've already heard it, but they, um, she's already talked about it. She, it was really interesting, but she still contends that it is Joseph and Hiram and Joseph comes from the line of David. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, all of a sudden it left me. Uh, I think it's called the two prophets or, or something along those lines. It's a, a DVD that you can buy on their site, or I, I believe that they have it also on Amazon prime. If I'm not mistaken, it is on um, Amazon prime. You have to buy it. And then they said for the oh, second okay. volume, write it or something. And they don't have the second volume. I couldn't find it anywhere, but I did attend the conference where she spoke about it. And in the past, it was like maybe four or five years ago, I did find the article on their foundation site. So I don't know if they still have it up there, but she goes through all the reasons why they believe that it actually is Joseph and Hiram and that they are the two servants that are dead in the streets. I mean, I can just tell you a little bit of why if you want to hear, but it's um, they were laid out in um, test is it intestate and that's is that intestate where they lay them out and everybody comes and sees them then people coming from England across the ocean heard about Joseph and Hiram's murder on the ships it was spoken around the world and people were celebrating on the ships people everywhere people were celebrating which is what revelations talks about they were lying, lying, not in test state. That's the will. It, they were lying in state and they were lying in state for three days. Um, and I'm just wondering if, you know, we know Joseph will be resurrected um, and he will come back in the end times. I'm just wondering if, and I don't remember her talking about this part, but if they will go over and play that role with Israel to save them. And I wonder if they will perhaps feign dead again for three days and then rise up. I don't know. I don't remember that part of the talk, but that was a little bit about what they talked about, that they are the co-presidents of this dispensation and that they will finish out this dispensation that way. So thank know. you. Could you clarify one thing for me? Yeah. These pronouns, you said, these are the reasons they believe. Who's they? The Joseph Smith Foundation. Okay. So whoever does that, is that church run? Is that? No, that's Joseph. It's um, Hannah Stoddard and her dad, James. Actually, it's the whole family. And that's all they do is stuff. I mean, they go and research. They go to the church archives and read the documents that are in the special collections. And so they do a lot of extensive research. It's, it's super interesting. You need to look at them. They're really, really interesting.
Aren't they his true descendants too? They may have been. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't remember. But I, I actually really, really love what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of interesting points that it they bring up. Like some things that just like make you think and like, because they were the ones like the, the Nephites in Europe, et cetera, and all that. It's like, whoa, things I never would have even considered. Uh, yeah, there, there's lots of different opinions on, uh, on that. You know, some people think it's um, Elijah and Moses or... Uh, some people think it's uh, Joseph and Hiram. Some people think it's David A. Bednar and T- D. Todd Christopherson. Like, there's so many different uh, lines. And, and I do have to say, I think it's funny that people think it's David Bednar because his name's David. I'm like, uh-huh. really? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like I haven't Abraham heard Kelly any other it. reasons why they think it's him other than his name's David. So I don't know. I think he also has the assignment over that area of the world. So. Mm-hmm. But but he won't have it over there forever. We just met the Stevensons when we were in Idaho and they told us they just got re- reassigned and they're going to Brazil now. They're going to be over Brazil. So they don't keep those areas all the time. Mm-mm. But yeah, so like Avraham Gileadi just throwing out his uh, opinion on it. He is 100% adamant that it will be someone named David. Like there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts in his mind um, that that they have to literally be named David. So I'm just- The end times times servant. Yes, and and the the ones that that die in the street. They all have to be named David? Uh, Well, they're kind of in the same league there. I mean, the end time servant will be one of those that dies in the street kind of thing. He will? Anyway. I didn't understand that. that. That's one of the opinions, conjectures there. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, there was a podcast that I listened to this week, and the expert was uh, Stephen C. Harper, who's considered one of the most foremost authorities about Joseph Smith. And uh, he talked about that a little bit, and he said basically that, uh, um, that there's a lot of conjecture, but there's nothing definitive uh, in church literature who those two people are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's and lots maybe of, that's the way it's meant to be right yeah yeah i i think that um the uh, the symbolism and and all of the things like isaiah is pointing out uh, you know it's, it's not spelled out and and what do we find from um that specific piece there that only christ can can talk to it uh, everything else is is just kind of conjecture anybody else has to reference back to isaiah in order to uh tell any of the prophecies that that are happening and in actuality, I think when we see it, we'll be like, oh, of course it was that. What were we thinking? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we know the signs, know what we're looking for when it comes, it'll be like, oh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and be excited for it, right? We'll, we'll jump right on that, that wagon. Um, let's pop back. Let's see. So, um, Shamla, would you uh, take the next five for us? So, 11 through 15. Yeah. The Aramaeans from the east, oh, sorry, but the Lord will strengthen Rezin's armies against them when he stirs up their adversaries. Aramaeans from the east and Philistines from the west. Um, sorry, side note from Abraham's podcasting, whatever that was, Philistines equals Palestines. Mm, yeah. I, that blew my mind a little bit. So, yeah. Sure. Um, there's a side note. 
the Arabians from the east and the Philistines from the west will devour Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. But the people do not turn back to him who smites them, nor will they inquire of the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, palm top and reed in a single day. The elders or notables are the head, the prophets who teach falsehoods, the tail. The leaders of those people have misled them, and those who are led are confused. My Lord is not pleased with their young men, nor does he pity their fatherless and widows, because all alike are godless malefactors, and every mouth utters profanities. Yet, for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. Yes, thank you. Um... Yeah, you want to finish out the last four? <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so starting in 18, wickedness shall not set ablaze like a fire and briars and thorns shall it consume. It shall ignite the jungle forest and they shall billow upward in mushrooming clouds of smoke. Wink, wink, mushrooming clouds of smoke. Okay. And the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the earth is scorched and people are but fuel for the fire. Men will have no compassion for one another. They will snatch up they will snatch on the right and yet remain hungry and they'll devour on the left but not be satisfied men will eat the flesh of their own offspring manasseh will turn against ephraim and ephraim against manasseh and both will combine against judah yet for all this his anger has not abated his hand is upraised still um so in the um literary message of Isaiah, it talks about how chapters 9, 10, and 11 are kind of this uh, mini chiasm within this, this section. Um, so 9, is, 9 and 11 are kind of the, the majority of the, the good news, what happens when Jehovah um, rescues his people, uh, the deliverance part, versus what's sandwiched in between is chapter 10, where it's the king of Assyria that, that is wreaking havoc on everything. Uh, we see some of that coming out in, in chapter nine as well, but um, here toward the end when the Antichrist is uh, pumping himself up and telling everything that, that he's doing. Um, but anyway, uh, I, that's just kind of one little framework to, to look at it, uh, where we have the, the good news um, that sandwiches this, uh, the, the awful part of, of chapter 10 here. Um, so let's actually, I don't know, do we want to read chapter 10 or we, we only have like nine minutes left. Let, let's just go to, to chapter 11 because here's some, some really good stuff about the, um, all of this stuff with Jesse, uh, the shoot, the stock, the branch, the everything here. Um, because that's going to have lots of good information for us. Um, I'm just going to start reading there in chapter 11. Um, just kind of the, the first few verses is probably all we'll have time for. It says that a shoot will spring up from the stalk of Jesse and a branch from its graft bear fruit. The spirit of Jehovah will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of valor, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. His intuition will be guided by the fear of Jehovah. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor establish proof by what his ears hear. He will judge the poor with righteousness and with equity arbitrate for the lowly in the land. 
he will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. Righteousness will be as a band about his waist, faithfulness a girdle about his loins. Which, um, anyway, like four and five both um, allude to temple imagery and uh, back to, to nine to establish that, that chiasm uh, there. Um, let's see. Yeah, let, let's keep on reading. So uh, verse six, then shall the wolf dwell among lambs and the leopard lie down with young goats. Calves and young lions will feed together and a youngster will lead them to pasture. When a cow and bear browse, their young will rest together. The lion will eat straw like the ox and a suckling infant will play near the adder's den and the toddlers reach his hand over the viper's nest. There shall be no harm or injury done throughout my holy mountain for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of Jehovah as the oceans are overspread with waters. So I thought that that was very interesting in uh, six through nine there. Um, like why do we have all of these animals being paired up to each other? Um, like why not just call it with uh, the first one that the the wolf dwell among the lambs and, and just have that be it but he goes on for a few verses with lots of different stanzas and animal pairings uh is there any symbolism there for us to understand or or draw from that point to the end times and what we'll be experiencing well i guess not even end times this is going to be a millennium right I don't know if any of you have toddlers, but for seriously, if I was letting my toddler head out to the viper's den, I'd be a little bit more wary unless A, my kid were translated or B, the animals were so that they were no longer dangerous or harmful. So I don't know, there's my view on it. Um, not just safe for the animals and animals are not just safe for each other, but safe for us as well. And that, um, that there's unity. I see unity there in all of them, which would not normally get along or be together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting to, to know how many different animals are talked about. Uh, one thing that we just like uh, came up with in our in-person class right before now was that there's 12 different animals here and 12 different tribes that have very similar animals tied to them. Um, could it possibly be that this is alluding to all of the, the children of Israel finally getting along kind of a thing? Um, that's uh, mentioned uh, in, in this block of scripture as well, that Ephraim and Manasseh will, will reunite in, in friendship and unity, uh, no longer subjugate each other, etc. cetera. Um, but anyway, I, I, there's just lots of, <laughs> so much stuff to, to talk about in one hour, sorry. Um, one other thing that I wanted to quickly do was if you remember the website that I showed you a while back is the Isaiah Explorer. Now it's pretty intense and uh, sometimes it can get really overwhelming, but let me show you a couple things that might really help you in your study of uh, this week and next week's um, reading material. So if you're in the Isaiah Explorer and I will copy and paste the, the link here in, in just a second. Um, in the Isaiah Explorer, this third column here is very handy to look at structures and, and patterns, etc. So um, it's the one that says tags. And if you click on tags, 
it will toggle back and forth between that and passage verses. So however your browser loads it right off the bat, it may or may not show the, the tags right off the bat, but you just click on that little tag up in the upper right-hand corner and it will um, pop up for you. So once you're in the tags, you click down into structures and then we, this whole thing that we're doing is the, the seven part structure. And uh, this week and next week, we are in part three, which is punishment and deliverance. And so here are some very handy tools to look and compare uh, different things together. So um, in this part three, it talks about four different agents, three redemptive roles and three redemptive events. And those are the ones that I kind of wanted to just show you quickly this week. Um, so there's four agents. One is the Davidic figure, the righteous warrior figure, the Cyrus figure, and the servant figure. And you can see the scripture references there off to the right-hand side. And so like the first half, so this week, um, it's mostly focused on this Davidic figure versus next week, we're going to be covering the righteous warrior, the Cyrus, and the servant figure. Um, but anyway, if you click on the Davidic figure, it goes through the verses that established this Davidic figure and what Isaiah is doing with his poetic form. And then uh, popping back to um, where you can see all of these tags, if you would go into three redemptive roles, um, we can see that, that everything is, is um, placed into these three different categories. The release of Yahweh's people from bondage, the bringing them uh, are bringing about their return from throughout the earth and then facilitating typological events of redemption. And so um, uh, we can see through that, that there is a new exodus, a new wandering in the wilderness and a new conquest. And those are gonna be typified by Moses and Gideon examples, etc. cetera, Hezekiah. Um, everything's blanking in my mind right now. But anyway, this is a great way to study um, uh, these very intense chapters. 9 through 12 are just uh, kind of uh, crazy chapters that are so deep and uh, multifaceted. Um, and then going back to the three redemptive events, um, you can take a look at um, some of those, those key uh, events there, the, the new exodus, the new wandering in the wilderness, and the new conquest, etc. Um, the, the Zion ideology and the chaos creation is mostly for next week, um, but the chiasm viewer is super handy if you are into chiasms at all. So I'm kind of a nerd about it, but um, it's a super huge chiasm. Uh, lots of different intricate parts to it. And so as you are scrolling through the different parts of the chiasm, it will highlight the verses that are paralleled with each other. And you can read those side by side, etc. in order to kind of unpack that, that chiasm and what Isaiah is talking about through his chaos and creation motif um, there in the second part. So anyway, that's just kind of a, a quick a brief overview of how to use the Isaiah Explorer this week and next week in um, your study of these chapters, if it's helpful for you. If it's 
bogs you down and, and boggles your brain. Don't worry about it. Um, but uh, if anybody wanted to use that, I'd just throw that out there because <laughs> it was very helpful for me to uh, really look at some of those structures and, and how the complexity is, is being um, unpacked there in, in Isaiah. Um, any last thoughts, comments, things? We, <laughs> yeah, this time went by so quickly tonight for me. Did you go over the Sinai covenant and the Davidic covenant? Not tonight, no. <laughs> that, that's um, one of the most important parts. <laughs> um, I'm just a little bit confused on that part. So are there, there just those two or is there a lot more? Uh, yeah, so there, there's quite a few different covenants. Do I have it listed in my book? I got here. a little bit confused on what was what. Uh-huh. For sure. So Sinai and, and Davidic covenant are very similar in their purpose, but yet they go about it very differently. Um, so the three main covenants that Isaiah is focused on is the Abrahamic covenant, the oh, Sinai yeah, that's covenant, right. and the Davidic covenant. Now there, there's more like the Enochian covenant, the Noah's covenant, etc. Um, but but these are the three main um things that, that Isaiah references heavily. Um, you, you're not going to understand anything without uh, getting past these three. So the Sinai covenant is a very collective covenant. It is everyone has to obey the law in order for anyone to receive the blessings. So uh, for example, uh, when Moses wandering in the wilderness that era, um, they have an example where uh, they were out a conquest and one person in the camp the whole entire camp uh kept the the spoils of war and it brought on curses upon the whole entire camp of israel and so um joshua had to uh cast lots and and figure out who it was in the camp that had committed this error and then once he found him, stoned him and his family, they were able to restore the blessings to the entire camp. So the Sinai covenant is very difficult to, to handle yeah. unless you're completely one mind, one heart uh, kind of thing. Um, so and did he say the United States is a Sinai covenant or were we a different? Because weren't we under a certain covenant also? Uh -huh, or was yes. it not so, one of those? because there, there can be multiple covenants at a time kind of a thing. Um, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, I mean, there's many presidents that have entered into national okay. covenants or Sinai covenants for the people, but they're quickly broken uh, most, most often times. So, um, you know, Sabbath day observance, uh, anything on, on the 10 commandments, they are um, getting broken quite frequently. And so it brings upon the curses. I so, was telling somebody that we were a covenant country, but then I couldn't remember where I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, later on down the, the road of um, Israel's history, uh, the people don't want to have that sort of pressure on the entire camp. Um, yeah. And they, they ask God for a king, to set up a king as an intermediary. So the whole Davidic covenant that, that this is like blowing my mind, the more I understand that there is a Davidic covenant, because I didn't know about it until reading Isaiah and stuff, 
and, and how it works. But when the people as a whole aren't ready to live the full law of, of Jehovah, there can be the opportunity to have a righteous king that is an intermediary. And that's where David comes in. Uh, David was the, the first one in that, that line there from Moses to, to there that was, was raised up and entered into a Davidic covenant of this style. So for the entire body of people, they're not required to do as much as long as the king steps up and, and fills this role for them. So the Davidic king takes upon himself the sins of the people, but he also issues a lower law for them to follow. And as long as they follow him and he follows the higher law of Jehovah, then Jehovah can still bless everyone in the camp, uh, okay. even if there is like one person that, that's disobeying, etc. as long as there's an intermediary. So last week we talked about the Hezekiah model. He's kind of like one of the great uh, types of this Davidic covenant where he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I've been faithful to you and the people are faithful to me uh, or to the, the lower covenants that I've uh, had them under um so we still warrant your protection so please protect us from this invading assyrian army and so the lord does it but he brings upon hezekiah the boil and he suffers nigh unto death for his people because he is um actually taking upon himself as a suffering savior the sins of the people and so for the davidic servant or the Davidic king, it's a higher, heavier load to carry, but for the people, it's a little bit easier so that they don't have to live up to the full stature of the law of Jehovah kind of a thing as, as a whole. I mean, like not even one person can disobey it um, kind of thing. But yeah, like Libby says in the chat, um, the American covenant from Tim Ballard, exactly. That's what yeah. um, Tim is, is referencing there. The national covenant is the Sinai covenant that, that Moses received from the lord there on mount sinai thank you but so yeah, much they're both about protection if you need jehovah's protection or deliverance from bondage you have to enter into one of those two covenants and so it all depends on the worthiness or the readiness of the people if everybody's ready to to live the full stature of it sinai covenant is the ideal thing to do but if it's not then the davidic covenant is is necessary in order to bring about the the blessings of protection and deliverance thank you so much yeah as far as i understand it i'm not a gospel scholar don't quote <laughs> no that's great i just got really confused last night i was listening going hey, wait a minute what is what <laughs> so thank you <laughs> yeah for sure yeah go ahead mom did you say mom I, I think this is what we're working towards with um, the city of Zion here at the end. We're all going to be one working together. And I think we'll enter into that Sinai covenant there for the city Zion, I think. Mm -hmm. So, Mother, how important would you say that learning about the Davidic covenant is for anybody that's wanting to further their personal journey in these last days? 
that's a mouthful. Sorry. <laughs> How important is the Davidic covenant? Well, I, I'm just learning all this, but I think it's very important because it's where we help others move up the ladder is by entering into that covenant. Like when we go to the temple and go through for a, a name, I, I believe that we're uh, making this covenant that we will act as proxy saviors for them and help them and help them get up this ladder. And I think that there's someone uh, probably from the other side that is helping us that's higher on the ladder. It's helping us to be able to handle that burden. I think it's all about going up the ladder, the debate covenant. Yeah, like, a totally new principle to me. And and when I first heard it, I was like, okay, I don't understand it, but whatever. Um, kept on on doing it, but you know, ever since last year, I've always been like, okay, I want to be part of the 144,000. What do I got to do to be translated kind of thing? But uh, none of the, my, my pleadings or anything ever amounted to any amount of revelation or about my life's work or anything like this until I understood the Davidic covenant. And then everything opened up and the Lord's like, hey, you've been skipping a step. So here's Isaiah's ladder. Seraphim's up here. You're down here there's a, a, a level that you're missing, the sun-servant level. And the sun-servant level is all about Davidic covenant. After you've passed your three tests of loyalty on the Zion-Jerusalem level, you have to start entering into Davidic covenants in order to, to fulfill that commission so that you can rise to the seraphim level. Like, you can't just bebop up there and, and, <laughs> and fulfill these grand translated missions without having understood the, that Davidic level of things and it's just blowing my mind because the lord is just like expounding it like if you want to learn davidic covenant the endowment is is everything isaiah and, and taking that that fresh new perspective to the endowment um the davidic covenant's written all over it um and especially with with changes etc that have been made in recent years but anyway i i think davidic covenant is is crucial for anyone that wants to ascend the ladder uh, beyond the, the Zion Jerusalem level. That's my humble opinion. Sorry <laughs> for the rant. That was awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And Shamla? Um, thank you. The one quick question, just to clarify, if I can sum everything you said up into a tiny little <laughs> um, it's not what can I do to help me? It's what can I do to help someone else make it to that next level? What can I do to help somebody else make it where I'm at? Yes. And I would actually rephrase that. How might I suffer so that someone else can rise? <laughs> Sorry, that is me applauding. <laughs> it's it's an all about suffering. Like Elder Holland's talk, welcome to the brotherhood of suffering. It, there's no other way. Like Eve says, there's no other way. Anyway, yeah, go for it, Mom. Okay, um, I'll try to just do this really quickly. <laughs> the last uh, time I did an endowment last Thursday, I went through with this in mind and, and with 
the, the name that I took. I searched out this person. It's a relation to me that I had found. And anyway, I found out as much about her as I could. And I went to the temple with this in mind to, to help her on this very thing. And, um, and it made the endowment so much more um, meaningful and special. But what happened is after I had gone through the veil and I was rounding the corner um, there where you go into the uh, celestial room and they're standing. Was a man in white and uh, I believe he's the one that's helping me. He's from the other side and that's it's my older brother that passed away years and years and years ago. And I, and he was very sick and I, and when he was sick, he like was on cortisone and everything. Anyway, he didn't even look, uh, I mean, he, he had a rough time there for eight years. And so I really didn't know what he looked like. But as I come around that corner there, he was just standing there waiting for me. And he wasn't one of the patrons that was coming through the veil. And he, did, he didn't have a tag on, but he was dressed in white. And he was grinning at me. And he had this twinkle in his eye. And he was just going to help me through the, the door, open the door into the celestial room for me. And as I got closer, I could see that he looked a lot like my younger brother, except an older version. And I think he looked like that so that I could tell who it was. And anyway, this funny because he opened the door into the Celeste room that there's two doors and he opened them both and and um, his arms were stretched out there and and I, I didn't know how to do it. And I, so I dipped down and went underneath his left arm there. And he says, London Bridges falling down, which is something that we used to play when we were little kids. And anyway, it just was the most special thing. But I think he was signaling to me that he's the one that's helping me with this. And then later on that night when I got home, stuff, I did have a rough night with this suffering thing. And I figured it was for this person because it's different than any suffering that I had had before and I felt this hand on the back of my shoulder on my back back there and I didn't know what that meant but I knew there wasn't anyone there that I could see and I was telling Cameron about it and he says I think he was uh, showing that you that he was helping you with that burden and helping you get through that so I am so convinced on this Davidic covenant thing that I can see it working. Gosh, a month ago, I didn't even know what it was. But I, anyway, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, 
I've been experiencing Davidic covenant type things a lot uh, since studying it. But like I said, yeah, like my mom said, not even a month ago, did I know even what it was? But as soon as you're ready to come to the Lord, he's ready to come to you and, and start teaching you about his kingdom, how to do things. And um, yeah, Davidic covenant, I, I, I don't know. I, I think everybody has to take their own journey with it. It's not like something you can just like tutor somebody else with. Um, but um, I, I highly, highly encourage um, reading like Avraham's book, Becoming Kings and Queens, and or just just Isaiah and really studying the, the literary patterns there of, of what the Davidic covenant is and means and how it might apply to you. Um, I don't know if that's... The, is there one special lecture by Abraham or is it just just keep reading just keep reading and reading or is there one certain okay. part that helped you? Uh-huh, yeah so like this little book is is a very great yeah. sum or, or or detailed thing out I mean it's, it's it's pretty small but um that's like the one thing that I mean it lays it all out pretty okay uh, uh, the audio book for it I think is like five books if you want yeah. to buy it on the Institute site um but yeah, I mean, it's totally. I guess I need to go back and re-listen to it. I know my mom said that she listened to it or read it before we even studied Isaiah. Yeah. But she didn't get anything out of it. But <laughs> but now that she knows what she's looking for, it's like, holy cow! Like this yeah. is like the best manual for it. Okay. Thank you. But yeah, I I'm not just trying to promote another Avraham book or anything like that. But um, his his depth of study into these things has really opened my eyes to, to just new paradigms of the Lord. And, and you know, I, it's important that we just go straight to the source and have him teach us uh, because every person's going to, to experience it differently. And, and, uh, but once you do, uh, the seraphim will, will start helping you uh, along the journey for sure. I like what you said about that, that nobody can teach us. We just have to learn from the Lord. Cause that's exactly what um, president Nelson's been telling us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm wildly interested in learning more about covenants. Is there another book out there other than Kings and Queens that we can read about more about the covenants because president Nelson's talked to us obviously about the Abraham and a covenant. Um, but when you start looking at, the different covenants of the Old Testament. Boy, been, has anyone ever written a book about just the Old Testament covenants? I I don't know of one, just right off the top of my head. I, I really love Tim Ballard's books about the, the national covenant and, and things there. Um, I I love Avraham's uh, uh, take on, on Sinai versus the Vedic covenant. And then the, the book that we read about Abraham as a book club, uh, is, is a great treatise on, on that. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever put it together. Maybe we should all just combine our heads and, and write a group <laughs> book about it, about covenants and, and what they mean. Um, I was looking on, I just did like a quick Google search about uh, biblical covenants and just wrote down every single one that people have come up with, etc. And um, I, I'm trying to do like a deep study on, on each of them and uh, try to figure out all of the nuances, but I don't know. Oh yeah, L, do you have? I'm sorry, I got in late because I was doing other things and talking with a friend and reading a book together. 
but I just no. got a new one and I haven't really opened it to look at it, but it's called Sacred Covenants, Our Agreement with God to be Exalted. And it's by, what's the company? Cedar Fort, which I don't know if that's a great book company or not, but uh -huh, yeah, it's all yeah. about covenants. But like I said, I have just got it like a day ago. <laughs> Does it have like an author, a specific author? Is it Alonzo um, Gaffney? Jeffrey A. Hogue, H-O-G-G-E. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't read that one, but that might. No. Yeah. And I just thought, well, you were talking about if there's a book on covenants and I just yeah. picked that one up because it was on sale and I thought it looked interesting. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's when sure. somebody can look for, or at least look at and review it maybe. Let us know how you like it. <laughs> yeah, if I get to read it, hopefully I have so many on my uh, list know, I to have read. Like a huge, a huge list of things to read. Yeah, no. yeah but, uh, exactly. And isn't that what people are saying here in the chat too? Yeah, <laughs> so much to study, so little time. I don't study as much as I want. I know it. It's just amazing how much there is to to really study and, and learn. But. Um, I don't know. That's kind of what's great about this book club. It always keeps pushing me along like, okay, I have to keep up. I have to keep reading. I have to get into this stuff before I can. I mean, cause like I'm so inadequate when it comes to like leading good doctrinal things. Cause I don't know all of the like sources or any of this kind of stuff, but um, trying to, to read and kind of keep up on my stuff is <laughs> I, I love that about the book club. It always pushes me. Oh, we appreciate uh, you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, Cameron, we talked yeah. briefly before, and I, I but it's when we was first learning about this, but how President Nelson, you know, just decides to do this. Um, oh, gosh. Hosanna Shout in conference, you know, a year ago. And you think about that, what was he really doing? I think he was doing a Davidic covenant in all of our behalves. Because uh -huh. sure. our, our, you know, things were looking kind of gloomy there. We were losing our temples and church and all that kind of stuff. And I think that. Yeah. If you compare King Hezekiah's story to that moment of President Nelson's ministry, I mean, there's. There's more similarities than not, <laughs> put it that way. But yeah. Cameron, I'm gonna second oh. what Kathy just said. Sorry, if there's a lag. Um, thank you <laughs> uh, for oh, all yeah. of us, thank you. And not just that, but we hope that you're gonna continue doing this, you know, and for the rest of your life. So hopefully, <laughs> I don't know if you recognize that you're in it for the long haul or not, but. <laughs> but I think you're doing a fantastic job leading <laughs> and I, well, I'm pretty you. sure everybody else does too or they wouldn't be here Cameron so be kind to you uh -huh. you're doing a good job yeah like when I was trying to find like what's my life's mission and, and different things I kept asking myself that over this last year and stuff and I keep getting led back to, to book club and I I don't know necessarily what the future of it holds or or anything but um regardless it has helped me grow so much in uh, my learning and testimony, etc. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's been so fun. I I love all of our our different connections. I, <laughs> I say this tongue in cheek, but like kind of serious. Of like when things hit the fan and we might lose internet or uh, you know communications and stuff. Like 
<laughs> it's going to be hard to, to lose these book clubs, but hopefully we'll all get translated and then we can just like talk to each other all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, I yeah, have perfect been... faith that's going to happen. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> For sure. So Maybe people are already starting to get translated. Maybe people are already starting to learn how to speak telepathically i um this is a side note and i'm not going to say who this was but i know of someone i know of a young man who a year and a half ago just over a year ago um the lord started showing him in dreams how to travel through portals mm -hmm. so like crazy stuff things right now yeah. i've heard lots of them talking about that now it's Very um totally crazy but it's happening it's just a testament to where we're at and even if there's not internet at that point whoever you're with whatever group you're in whatever you're traveling you can draw little ladders in the dirt with a stick and you can show people <laughs> because you yep. understand it. so thank you yeah exactly we're just gonna have to go on missions all the time and be like okay well i need to enlist shamala for this one let's go save some people today <laughs> all right well it has been super fun thank you all for for participating and joining us tonight um we will continue on with the the second part or second week of this third part of punishment and deliverance next week it's kind of a heavy chapter load but I, you got this there's there's a lot in there <laughs> anyway we will see everyone next week <laughs> bye